help support the Jiminy Cricket podcast and the Disney Chris website by becoming a Patreon subscriber. By joining our illustrious roster of supporters, you will receive exclusive rewards every month, including audio content, Disney video commentaries, and an exclusive Patreon subscribers-only podcast called Down the Rabbit Hole. Be sure to check out our new donation levels and special rewards at www.patreon.com slash DisneyChris. Jiminy Crickets! Jiminy Cricket is the name I'm a happy-go-lucky fellow Always getting in wrong For singing my song A merry old soul am I Jiminy Cricket is the name I'll be hanging around this evening I'll be tipping my hat And telling you that Jiminy Cricket is the name Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 127 of Jiminy Cricket's podcast. And this week, in honor of the 60th anniversary of the Academy Award-winning film Pollyanna, we are doing a tribute to the Disney legend, Ms. Haley Mills. And with me this week, we have, as usual, our co-hostess with the mostest, Ruthie. How are you doing, Ruthie? Hi, everybody. I'm doing great. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing great. And we have a special guest, Haley Mills fan extraordinaire, Brian Crawford. How are you doing, Brian? Welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Chris. I love Haley Mills, and so I appreciate you inviting me to join you guys today. And I'd be remiss without wishing Chris a happy birthday today. Yes. Oh, we yes. We sing. We're <laughs> recording this on my birthday. And uh, it is not being released on my birthday, so if if anybody listening forgot to wish me a happy birthday, you have a whole year to remember for next time. (laughs) (laughs) Or they can wish you a belated one. Yes. But before we get to our main topic, we have a very special announcement. The Jiminy Crickets Podcast proudly endorses Concierge Vacation Planners. A Disney-authorized specialty vacation planning service. Concierge doesn't just book your trip. They walk you through the entire process, helping you plan out every detail, one-on-one, to make the very most out of your vacation while saving you both time and money. And the best part is, they charge nothing for their services. You will get the exact same pricing as if you booked your vacation directly through Disney. But in using Concierge's expertise, you've got the added bonus of having your very own personal Disney Guru Planner by your side. Both Ruthie and I are also satisfied customers, and we just can't recommend them enough. Visit their website at www.concierge.com. That's www.concierge.com, as in mouse ears. So when you book your next Disney vacation, be it Walt Disney World, Disneyland, the Disney Cruise Line, or many of the other Disney destinations available worldwide, contact Concierge Vacation Planners, and be sure to tell them Disney Chris sent you.
What is it I really think? I think that spring has sprang. I woke up feeling tickled pink, and this is what I sang. I'm as happy as a little clam. I am, I am, I am in love, just with nothing in particular. I are, I are, I are in love. Gracious goodness, dearie me, my sainted aunt above. Bless my heart for pity's sake. Catherine Rose Vivian Mills is an English actress, child star, Academy Award winner, who was born on the 18th of April, 1946, in the West End of London, a Disney legend and star of six classic Walt Disney live-action films, ranging from comedy to drama to spy adventure to musical. She ran the gamut of film genres over her brief yet extraordinary career with the Walt Disney Organization. And because it is the 60th anniversary of her first film for Walt Disney Productions, which was Pollyanna, we thought it would be a wonderful idea to do an episode that is a tribute to Haley Mills, her life, her acting career, and, of course, focusing on her uh, six Disney films. So, the beginning of our show, we thought we would just sort of give you a little bit of a background on Ms. Mills and discuss her childhood and everything that happened before she was discovered by the wife of prolific Disney film producer Bill Anderson, Virginia Anderson, who brought Haley Mills to the attention of Walt Disney. So, Brian, why don't you explain to our audience who this talented little girl was and how she got her start in show business. Okay, yeah, thanks, Chris. Well, to start talking about her, we 
we have to start with her parents. So she's the daughter of an actor, Sir John Mills, that we all know from the film Swiss Family Robinson in 1960. And he was also in a film Around the World in 80 Days that he starred with a couple other Disney favorites, David Niven and Robert Newton in 1956. And he is probably best known for his film Ryan's Daughter in 1970 in which he won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. And he passed away in April 2005. Haley Mills' mother was Mary Haley Bell, and she herself was an actress and a writer. And she wrote a novel called Whistle Down the Wind that was actually adapted into a film that starred Haley. And that movie you can see on YouTube, very entertaining film. Her mother lived to be the age of 94, and she passed away in December of 2005. Haley Mills' older sister is actress Juliet Mills, who starred in the film Avanti with Jack Lemmon and was also on a few television series. And she actually starred in a film called The Rare Breed, with, which was a 1966 comedy western that starred Jim Stewart, Maureen O'Hara, and Brian Keith, who we're going to talk about later today. So it's interesting to see all these little Disney connections that go on with Haley Mills' family. Uh, it's that's kind of a fun thing that I enjoy about Disney films. All these little connections you can you can make. She also had a younger brother, Jonathan Mills, who directed a documentary called Sir John Mills' Moving Memories in 2000 that featured the entire family. So, like uh, Chris said earlier, that she was discovered at a young age. Uh, she was discovered at age 12 by director Jay Lee Thompson, who was looking for a boy to play the lead role in the film he was working on called Tiger Bay back in 1959. And during a meeting with uh, Sir John Mills to discuss his role in the film, he noticed that Haley Mills had short hair and kind of a boyish personality. And he was convinced that that she should have the part. And so Haley was cast in the film as a character named Gilly, along with her father. And she plays a 12-year-old tomboy who's kind of infatuated with the current British fad of playing with toy cap guns and playing cops and robbers. But she's not allowed to join in with the other kids since she doesn't have a cap gun of her own. They kind of kick her out because she's not worthy to play games with them. So the film goes along and she lives in this apartment building where she witnesses a crime of passion involving a gun. So she gets really excited to see this gun in action and she's kind of peeking through a letterbox in the neighbor's apartment and witness the crime. And the killer, whose name is Bronick, emerges from the apartment and that kind of forces Gilly to hide. And he stashes the revolver and Gilly is looking on and she really wants that gun. So. <laughs> After he takes off, she goes and grabs the gun, thinking that she can use this in, in the games with her friends. She quickly gets the gun, and Bronick sees her, and she hurriedly runs off to church where she's late for a choir performance. And So she arrives at the church, and she's singing in this choir. And one interesting note is that one of the choir boys is Michael Anderson Jr., who she later plays along with in the film In Search of the Castaways. So John Glenarvan is the name of that little choir boy. So back at the church, Bronick catches up with Gilly in the attic and he forcibly gets the gun back from Gilly. And in a surprising turn of events, Gilly, 
she tells him how impressed she is with the crime. She's all into cops and robbers and things, and so she's really taken back by by what he's done. And she decides to become friends with Bronick because of her admiration of his criminal deeds. <laughs> and in Bronick's defense, though, uh, a lot, the viewers can take sympathy because he's really a victim of infidelity as uh, his girlfriend wastes away funds that he sent to her while working on a ship. And so Gilly decides to help him out to escape on a freighter that's leaving Tiger Bay the next day. So Graham is the investigator to this crime that Haley Mills witnessed, and he's played by Sir John Mills. And he learns that Gilly witnessed the event. So Gilly, he interviews Gilly, and Gilly lies to protect her new friend. And then what is probably the most charming scene, the, the scene that we really get to see Haley's acting ability is when Graham asks her to act out the scene of the crime. And it's just a fun, heartwarming kind of style that we'll see later in her career, especially in the films like Pollyanna and even in the Moon Spinners. So Bronick does manage to get away and on a freighter bound for Caracas. And I'm not going to tell you anything else about the movie. You can go watch it on YouTube or Amazon Prime and check it out. But I highly recommend it. I'm not going to give out any spoilers, but it does end very thrillingly and, uh, and very entertaining. So Tiger Bay was released in 1959 and Bill Anderson, who produced many Disney films, including Old Yellers and Swiss Family Robinson and later the Zorro series and also the Moon Spinners, was introduced to Haley Mills through uh, his wife, Virginia, after she saw Tiger Bay. And Anderson convinced Walt Disney and Bill Swift that Haley would be perfect for the title role in the upcoming film, Pollyanna. Well, Walt Disney didn't need much convincing either because he also saw Tiger Bay to see John Mills, who he was considering for the leading role in Swiss Family Robinson. And he was amazed at her performance and signed her up to a, a long-term contract. So when Walt Disney signed Haley Mills... It was a six-picture deal that was going to be one picture every year for the next six years. And so we're going to talk about all six of those films. And each one is very unique. And as I said earlier, each one is like a completely different genre. And it's just sort of interesting how she's... It just shows the versatility of as an actress because she's equally good in drama as she is in a musical or in comedy. So we are going to start with her first film, which is uh, classic Disney live action family film, Pollyanna. So Pollyanna was... Uh... Haley Mills' first film, and it's my favorite. Uh, it's actually my favorite Disney film, <laughs> Disney live-action film. So if I get too long-winded here, you'll understand why. I just absolutely love this movie. And uh, thanks to Chris and Ruthie for letting me talk about this one. It was released uh, back on May 19th, 1960. In the intro, it's the 60th anniversary of this year, Pollyanna. So that's why we're all getting together, talking Haley Mills today. It was directed by David Swift, his very first film for Disney. He'd later go on to direct The Parent Trap, which Ruthie will talk about next. And he also wrote the screenplay for Candleshoe, 
a little little live action film starring Jodie Foster and Helen Hayes and David Niven. So the film is based on the novel by Eleanor H. Porter of the same name. And I've read it. It's a cute little book. Uh, I want to mention the art directors and some of the set decorators uh, who are Carol Clark and Robert Clatworthy. Uh, set decorators, Emil Curie, Fred McLean, and costumes, Walter Plunkett. And I want to talk about these guys. Well, not too much about them, but they all possess this really incredible skill to perfectly re- recreate the uh, 1912 quaint American small town setting that that we enjoy in the film with all the beautifully appointed homes, especially Aunt Polly's house, which is just like eye candy throughout the whole movie. Yeah. And just... <laughs> who wants to live there, right? Yeah, who doesn't want to live there? There's like 8,000 bedrooms in there. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so uh, that that house and then the whole entire town and all of the, the clothes, the costumes that, that, that people are, are wearing, it's it's really chock full of Americana charm. And that's, that what's, that's what makes the film so appealing to me. And you can't really talk about Pollyanna without recognizing the incredible cast. Uh, just... Mm-hmm. A veritable who's who. Boy, that's cliche, huh? <laughs> of Hollywood at the time. And what's interesting was it was touted on just about every piece of publicity that you see uh, for the film back back in that time. So every every single lobby card or movie poster, you see photos of, of everybody. And, and we'll, we'll talk about the cast a little bit as, as I go through a short summary of the film. But the film was... Uh, shot in Santa Rosa and some areas of Napa Valley that Aunt Polly's house is actually a two-story house that uh, a third story was added by Pete Ellenshaw. He kind of used a matte painting to create that third story where where Pollyanna lives way up there. (laughs) She doesn't get any of those nicely appointed bedrooms. She gets the attic (laughs) way up at the top. But uh, that yeah, that third floor is a matte painting by Pete Ellenshaw. So Santa Rosa, Napa Valley, and of course they did some of uh, the interior scenes at the Disney Studios. Briefly going through the plot, if I get long-winded here, you guys stop me because I love Pollyanna and I might go crazy. <laughs> but I know we'll talk about our favorite scenes later and feel free to jump in with your favorite scene if I mention it, you know, whatever. But, you know, we, we meet uh, Pollyanna. She, uh, she's arrived on a train, you know, a nice steam train that Walt Disney has to have in every one of his movies that portray Americana, which is great. You know, Walt and trains are synonymous for awesomeness, right? Mm-hmm. So Haley Mills jumps off the train. She's our star, uh, Pollyanna. And she's a young orphan girl who comes to live with her wealthy Aunt Polly in this small, very civic-minded town of Harrington. And Pollyanna doesn't really jive too much with Aunt Polly's, uh, the way she likes to live her life in this town. She's very strict, rigid. She has a high social position. In fact, the town of Harrington is named after her family. So she's got this social position that she needs to uphold in the community. But Pollyanna is like totally opposite from it. She does not fit this mold. And without reservation, she plays this glad game all around town. And it's kind of her cute way of looking at the bright side of everything. And some of the residents aren't on board with the game at all, while others kind of welcome this optimism to their <laughs> otherwise gloomy town that's pretty much run by Polly. She runs the show in Harrington. And she feels a responsibility to do so. And a couple people that aren't on board with that are 
the mayor and Dr. Chilton. So a little bit about the GLAD game. Uh, it, there's a scene where they're talking about Sundays and how everybody hates them because the reverend gets up and sermonizes something fierce. You know, he starts shaking the sand chandeliers with his booming, booming uh, sermons and, and nobody really likes this. And so Pollyanna talks about why everybody hates Sundays and she's like, well, that's when you can play the glad game, you know, and <laughs> one of the one of the maids is disturbed. She's like, glad this, glad that. It's all she ever talks about. Here comes Miss Goody Two-Shoes with her glad game. And Pollyanna says, well, you could play the game if you find something to be glad about on Sunday. And she says, what's there to be glad about on Sunday? And Pollyanna's like, well, it's going to be six whole days until Sunday comes around again, huh? <laughs> yeah. And she always adds that little, huh? Yeah. <laughs> which is so yeah. cute. Yep. <laughs> it's like. How can you instantly fall in love with with Haley Mills through this film? Just yeah. the way her mannerisms and how kind of lovingly impolite she is with everybody. Mm-hmm. So uh, the film is really very episodic. Uh, there is a plot line. It centers around what the town decides to do when the, the local orphanage known as the Harrington House, it, it becomes pretty much uninhabitable. Mm-hmm. And what, so the there's two... up or something yeah, like that. Major plumbing issues, right? Yeah. yeah. So there's two sides. Aunt Polly sees that as her civic duty to pay for everything because she, that's you know she wants to pay for everything. It's my responsibility. But the mayor and Dr. Chilton, uh, who's actually Aunt Polly's love interest, he comes back to town to see if he could like reignite the the old flame they used to have. <laughs> but the mayor and Dr. Chilton see this as an opportunity to replace the building altogether, and they they organize a bazaar. Mm-hmm. to raise funds and Aunt Polly's like no way this is happening in my town right <laughs> so uh, that's kind of what the whole story centers around and, and meanwhile you've got Pollyanna running around town playing her glad game with folks like Mr. Pendergast and mm-hmm. and Mrs. Snow who I'm sure we'll talk about them when we get to our favorite scenes my favorite scene is actually one of them that involves Mrs. Snow so like I said, Dr. Chilton is back to kind of fan the flames of an old burned out relationship with Aunt Polly, but Aunt Polly really is not not playing that game, right? <laughs> she does not want, uh, she's not, first of all, she's not thrilled that Dr. Chilton's organizing this bazaar at all. And so he comes to visit her and while she's flattered that he's he came back to Harrington just to see her she like dismisses his advances and when they start talking about the orphanage and asking her to help you know not stand in the way because she's kind of intimidating in this town where she has such an influence over everybody that they're afraid to act against her will Mm -hmm. and so aunt polly gets upset by dr chilton's involvement with the bazaar and she kicks him out of the house and before he leaves he he pretty much tells Aunt Polly what she doesn't want to hear regarding this whole uh, bizarre thing, and that's that she can't. This bizarre give situation. Him... Yes. <laughs> yeah, bizarre situation. <laughs> she can give everything, right? All the money that she has, but but love, and that's that's the thing that Pollyanna gives to the town, right? She, Pollyanna is the one that gives the love. Aunt Polly gives the money, but it's false charity on her part. Pollyanna is really kind of the driving force and changing the, the whole personality 
the town, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. They're all subservient to Aunt Polly, but mm-hmm. Pollyanna kind of helps them see or motivates them to to do things that make Aunt Polly uncomfortable. <laughs> so it ends up that you know Paul, that the bazaar goes through uh, because uh, with a little bit of help from Reverend Ford, you know he he gets motivated from Pollyanna mm-hmm. to encourage everybody to go to this bazaar because Aunt Polly was basically writing his sermons and Pollyanna says, hey, you should talk about, you know, better, more happy things. You should talk about the happy texts in the Bible. And so one of the quotes that she gave him was, uh, when you look for the bad in mankind expecting to find it, you surely will, a quote by Abraham Lincoln. And so he really takes that to heart. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he's really shaken by, by her words, by Pollyanna's words and the message and decides that nobody can own a church and so he gets up at the pulpit and says you guys better go to this bazaar because i'll lamb into you something fierce when i get you here (laughs) next week and you know i can do it too (laughs) yeah so the bazaar goes on and and that scene is just like i mean isn't that the best disney scene ever (laughs) (laughs) it's just one of the most cherished and sweet slices of Americana in any Disney film. And, you know, we mm-hmm. see Pollyanna and her friend Jimmy Bean. They're eating huge slices of watermelon, big old fat chocolate cakes with rich icing and corn on the cob. And, uh, you know, she she wins a doll from from one of the games and because that's goes back to the how the Glad game got started. Uh, we can I'll talk about that. That's one of my favorite scenes. But. And then you see Reverend Ford baptize the guy in the dunk tank. And then the best part is when everybody's dancing around and you get the rocking grandma on the drums. Yes. <laughs> she was getting it on the drums. <laughs> <laughs> what are those little the little red things she 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 plays on the top? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, some sort of wooden thing that yeah. she gets. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know the name of that instrument, but man, when she goes to town on those little guys. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, you know, everything's fine and dandy at the bazaar and then you know she Pollyanna has to get back home she kind of snuck out to attend the bazaar and so she climbs this tree you know to get back into the house so she doesn't so Aunt Polly doesn't see her and she ends up falling and, and becoming paralyzed and and now it's the time now it's the time for the whole town to play the glad game with Pollyanna because now she's in this position where she's hurt she's sad she finds out she can't walk again unless she gets uh, this very delicate surgical procedure, which will help. And a lot of that depends on her attitude. So the whole town converges on Aunt Polly's house and visits with her. And and you just see the this totally tear-inducing scene of, of everybody that she's helped while she's been in, in the town. And it's just such a wonderfully done scene. And you see Aunt Polly's heart melt because everybody kind of took that message to heart you know that they started looking for the good in people and they found it all because of Pollyanna so they go off to get the surgery done and then as the train is leaving the station they're headed to Baltimore to get the procedure done you see this little town sign that's hanging on a train platform that reads Harrington the glad town just just a wonderful film I know I rushed through the whole summary but (laughs) Uh, it, it was her first film, and she really stole the show as Pollyanna, despite acting along such a superstar cast of like Jane Wyman, Richard Egan, Donald Crisp, 
Carl Malden. Morehead, Carl yep. Malden, all these great characters. Kevin Cochran. Yep, Kevin oh, Cochran. Oh, yeah, Kevin, Kevin Corcoran was in it. And, uh, Nancy Olsen, you can't leave her out either. Yep. Right? So despite all those names, it was Haley that won the Academy Award. It was mm-hmm. an Academy Juvenile Award that she won in 1960. And she also won a BAFTA nomination for Best Actress. And that's the British Academy of Film and Television Arts. Yeah, but one sad thing about the movie was it only grossed $3.75 million, And Walt Disney attributed this to the title <laughs> of Pollyanna, which wow. probably scared off, you know, men or boys from from seeing this in the theater which is kind of too bad because mm-hmm. i'm a guy and i love it yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that kind of reminds me of follow me boys where it's kind of the opposite it has the word boys in it so you're maybe women might not necessarily be you know thinking that this is going to be a move for them but it definitely is for everybody they should have named it tango <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, they, that was going to be Rapunzel, right? But they named it Tangled, so the uh, the guys would go check it yeah. out. So, yeah, that that's kind of a bum deal. Um, but they they released it on television, and I think they in three parts on the Wonderful World of Color episode more than once. So that that got uh, people more interested in the film, and of course today it's it's one of Haley Mills' most beloved films and probably what she's most known for, in my opinion. I mean, you throw the parent trap in there. Which way are we going to go? <laughs> she didn't disappoint with that film either. And, and, and she became instantly loved by fans. And since she signed that six film, was it a six-year contract or a six-film contract? It was both. Yeah, both. Well, there were a lot more... Uh, films to look forward to and and you'll see that none of those really did disappoint with with the exception of maybe one (laughs) but (laughs) so that's that's Pollyanna Uh, what's your favorite scene Brian oh my gosh every every one of the scenes that I love are just they just make me cry you know (laughs) I'm a crier like Chris guys maybe that's why we're such good friends so there's the they're planning for this bazaar and Pollyanna's on a mission to like get as many people involved as she can to participate in the bazaar, you know, just to spite Aunt Polly, I guess, unintentionally, right? Of course, because Pollyanna doesn't have a mean bone in her body. But she comes, uh, she visits this lady called uh, her name's Mrs. Snow, and she's played by Agnes Moorhead, and. She brings by a set of patchwork squares to Mrs. Snow's home and asks her if she could sew them into a quilt that will be sold at the bazaar. And, you know, one thing we need to know about Mrs. Snow is she's kind of uh, bedridden, you know, falsely. Well, quote unquote, <laughs> she's, a hypo- she's a hypochondriac. Yeah. yeah, right. She's a hypochondriac, right? And so she... Uh, you know, Pollyanna's not buying it at all. She she just thinks she's on her deathbed and she's going to die. And, and Pollyanna's like, nope, no, you're not, because I'm going to make you happy with my glad beam. <laughs> and so when she comes to bring the patchwork squares, <laughs> she is busy with her guest, Mr. Merg, played by Gage Cart, oh, who yeah. has come to help her pick out the lining for her coffin and the brass coffin handles. <laughs> <laughs> so 
Pollyanna, right, she doesn't know that she she knows Mrs. Snow's not really sick and tries to brighten her focus on on playing the glad game. And, and so she tells Mrs. Snow all about the glad game, how her dad invented it because she wanted this doll. But her father, being a minister, was pretty poor. And so he requested uh, through the missionary service to get a doll. But instead of a doll, they delivered a pair of crutches. <laughs> and so... Mrs. Snow is like, like, what's so happy about a pair of crutches? And and Pollyanna says, well, it's, you know, I was disappointed I didn't get the the doll. But at the same time, I could be happy because I'm so glad I didn't have to use them. (laughs) So Mrs. Snow is kind of touched by the story. But Mr. Merg is like, no, you know, get out of here with your glad game. And he replies like, why must you bedevil this poor dying woman with your childish, silly little story? And Pollyanna's like really disturbed by this and she just boards out. It's like, I thought you could play the game. You know, you could be glad you don't need this horrid old coffin. You could be helping others by making the patchwork quilt for the orphans if you wanted. You ought to forget about dying and be glad you're living. Oh, I don't care what you do. I'm not going to visit you anymore. And she runs out. And the the reaction Mrs. Snow has is what kind of gets the tears flowing. You know, she's really taken back by Pollyanna's words and she kicks out Mr. Merg. She looks at those set of patchwork squares that Pollyanna left, and she thinks for a moment. And as the words that Pollyanna said sink into her heart, she grabs her sewing needle and starts working on the quilt. And, you know, I, I cry every time. It's <laughs> my favorite scene in the movie. What about you guys? Rosie? It's funny. My favorite scene kind of plays off of your favorite scene because... My favorite scene is at the bazaar when I'm getting emotional just talking about it because it's just so, it's such a good scene. She, they have a game there at the bazaar and it's a fishing game. And all they do is just throw the hook over the wall and then they uh, pull it up and, and then the kids get whatever is on the end of the hook. But Pollyanna goes and throws the hook over the wall and Mrs. Snow is there. And she's around the back, and it's Mrs. Ford, the reverend's wife, who is running the booth. And she was about to give her a horse, and um, Mrs. Snow taps and and is like, "No, no, no, don't give her that one." Yeah, a A toy toy horse. horse. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the hook wasn't that strong. It's gonna fit on a. It's an oversized fish hook, but yes, it's a. It's still a hook, and um, so she was gonna give her a plastic horse, but then she's like, "No, no, don't give her that." Um, and she's like, she's pointing to the doll. And um, so then when Pollyanna pulls up the hook, she sees the doll. And it's the doll that she wished for. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you thought you got you thought you were bad, right? No, I, I this is another scene where I just lose it. Yeah. And because this is all she ever wanted. Yeah. You know, she's Pollyanna is a girl uh, who who just wants to make other people happy and she doesn't care about doing something for herself and this is the one next thing that she's always wanted so as you can tell this scene makes me cry because it's making me cry talking about it but and i was just when i was watching it the other night same thing i just feel like you know she just really deserves this doll and so it's it's my favorite scene because it kind of brings that whole the whole glad game and the whole and everything that she is trying to she ends up doing for this town it all brings it all full circle back to her so this is my favorite scene chris i 
Can we just close the podcast now? I mean, <laughs> it doesn't get any better than that. And huh? the Oscar goes yeah. to. Wow, I'm in tears here I'm not too, acting. boy. Okay. Nope, it's 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 that no, Haley Mills has such a powerful funny. effect on Disney fans and their emotions and just overall happiness. Is yeah, brilliant, brilliant. David Swift, brilliant. What about you, Chris? What's your favorite? So we each picked a favorite scene, and in case somebody else picked the same scene that we did, we all picked a backup scene as well. So what was your backup scene, Brian? Uh, well, my backup scene is two hours and 14 minutes long. <laughs> you mean the whole movie? The whole thing. <laughs> 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 All right. So, what was your backup uh, well, I, scene? Ruthie? My backup is. Oh, you do have one. Probably. I thought, you were, <laughs> I thought you were serious, but you do have. It's one, Reverend Ford's first, uh, first um, sermon that he gives. You know. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, Aunt Polly's writing the sermons, and <laughs> he gets up there. <laughs> he climbs the staircase right to the podium, which he is. He climbs the staircase and he says, um, "You lost all your money." You're in the middle of nowhere. What will you do? What will you do? Yeah. <laughs> if anybody gets that reference, then you can leave it. Yeah, you stumped me. Uh, <laughs> he used to be the um, the spokesman for American Express Travelers Checks. Oh, Carl and, Malden. Yeah. Yeah. And he used to say that. Yeah. <laughs> what will you do? What will you do? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> so he just, he ascends this the pulpit right and it's this pulpit is like sky high right <laughs> and the and everybody is looking directly up at him who's like he's what 20 feet up there i don't know <laughs> and he gives this just very stirring very scary sermon about death and how everybody needs to like you know be good and he does it with such uh ferocity that he shakes the chandeliers on the ceiling and <laughs> And everybody that's watching is just kind of like pulling at their collars. And yeah. uh, whenever he lets out an exclamation, uh, especially uh, is it Anne Seymour who plays Mrs. Tarbell, right? And just the way mm -hmm. she looks, oh, yeah. <laughs> she just opens her eyes really wide. Wide eyes, yeah. <laughs> she's like, death comes unexpectedly. <laughs> One real funny loose end on that is... Um, you know, you, you see Kevin Corcoran tying the girls' ponytails together. You know. Yeah, that's true. They don't say what happened. <laughs> yeah, I don't see what happens when they leave. That's funny. <laughs> but that whole scene in the church, it really just kind of, it's at the beginning of the film. It, it really sets the mood for, like, how things are in the town, how Aunt Polly has hold of everybody yeah. <laughs> and everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. Now, what was your backup, Ruthie? Well, my backup is kind of a little bit bigger than the specific scene I talked about, which the bizarre. I love the bizarre scene. Like they they first show the whole how the whole town is shown up and they have, you know, different booths in the bazaar. This the first booth they show, they are selling like literally a quarter of a watermelon slice <laughs> for a penny. This thing is bigger than than two heads put together. It's so huge, it's so red, it looks so juicy and so in season and it looks so yummy and everybody's buying these huge watermelon slices then the cook that works at aunt polly's house 
uh, she decides to make these amazing looking cakes. They are so like three tiers high, very thick slices, so much yummy looking frosting. And, you know, then Pollyanna gets a slice of the cake and oh my gosh, I want that cake. And then she goes and then they're selling, they have these huge, huge barrels full of corn that they're boiling and cooking. And she goes and gets this huge ear of corn and it's all of that stuff looks so good. It's so fun. And then of course, you know, they, they sing America the Beautiful and she's part of the flag and they're up there and in front of everybody singing. bizarre like you said brian earlier this is americana at its best like i want to be at that bazaar i want to go there i want to eat all this food so that's my second favorite scene is just that whole thing no argument here <laughs> <laughs> let's go chris well neither one of you picked one of my scenes interesting and um brian kind of did but not really my favorite scene is also with Agnes Moorhead. And it's funny that each of our favorite scenes involved Agnes Moorhead. We must <laughs> yeah. have really enjoyed her in this movie. But anyway, yeah. my favorite is her first time, Pollyanna's first time meeting Mrs. Snow. Not the time with the quilts incident, but the time mm -hmm. when she she's bringing her a, a, a jar of jam. Yeah. Cow's foot jelly. Yeah. yeah. So they um they're going around, you know, doing charitable work and they bring baskets of food to the needy and one of the houses they stop at is Mrs. Snow's house. And I don't understand why she's considered so needy. She lives in a beautiful house. But regardless of that, <laughs> regardless of that plot hole, she um sort of walks in on Mrs. Snow in her bed with all her medications and just starts having a chat with her and uh, they sort of bicker with each other but Mrs. Snow ends up 
sort of becoming very endeared to her right away and and uh, her daughter who lives there and uh, uh, the character played by Nancy Olson who's also there they're just flabbergasted by how uh, Mrs. Snow reacted to Pollyanna because she never nobody's able to charm her but for some reason Pollyanna was able to get to her but during the scene uh, there's a couple things that stand out. It's something that's brought up earlier in the film, but uh, they talk about prisms, and they, uh, Pollyanna says, what beautiful prisms you have, and she has an antique, well, I guess at that time it was a contemporary chandelier <laughs> with, um, you know, those, those hanging crystals on the Yeah, little lamp with the crystals. Mm-hmm. And she holds it up to the window, and reflects little rainbows on the walls so they come up with the idea to hang a whole row of them along the window and it creates this beautiful little display on the wall of rainbows everywhere but my favorite part of all is this one line where she looks at Pollyanna and she goes you have a stubby little nose That's my favorite line from the film. And she squeezes her cheeks, right? Yeah. And turns yep. her head. <laughs> and she, and her reaction is, I know it. Yeah. Like, she doesn't argue it. Anyway, my second favorite, neither of you chose either. And that was uh, the very end of the movie. When the whole town, I mean, Brian did mention it, but it wasn't chosen as his favorite. When the whole town comes out to bid Pollyanna safe travels on her way to the city to have her operation to repair her paralyzed legs. And uh, Mm -hmm. she's very upset. She's not willing to play the glad game. She's gone against her own belief system because of how distraught she is over her situation. But when the whole town shows up, to give back some of the love that she brought to them, and I'm going to get emotional now. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the, um, the she she ends up, you know, smiling again and being happy again and, and being optimistic again. And the one part oh my God, that gets to me again, Agnes Warhead stole yes. this movie. Yes, did. <laughs> when she looks at, at Pollyanna and she's just bright-eyed and happy and she says, what's everybody complaining about? And she's like, <laughs> puts on this whole act of, of positivity and then when Pollyanna is moves on to, to meet with the next guest, she pulls up her handkerchief and starts to uncontrollably cry over Pollyanna's situation and oh my god that is a gut wrench that gets to me um anyway and then when the train pulls away and they put up the sign that says Mm -hmm. the glad town that whole sequence for the last five minutes of the movie that's that's my second favorite might even I might even say it's my favorite but uh, for some reason I thought 
I, for some reason, I thought one of you were going to pick it, so I actually chose it as my second favorite. Uh, but I probably yeah. would have picked it as my first if I didn't. But I'm surprised neither one of you picked that one. But anyway. Well, the thing about this movie is there's so many amazing scenes. Another one that I have, it's not my second favorite, but I really like the scene where um, Aunt Polly takes Pollyanna to go clothes shopping for the first time. <laughs> right. I think that's such a fun scene and, and the fact that, you know, she's never had new clothes in her life. It's the first eighties fashion montage. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the sixties. It's hilarious yeah. and, and all the shop workers. <laughs> yeah, and like the way they're looking at her in, her, in yeah. her used clothes and, and how she's she gets to basically gets to pick anything that she wants in the store and it's so awesome, like, just for her to be able to have that experience. So this film, I mean, like you said, Brian, two hours and 14 minutes of amazing scenes. <laughs> yeah, it's just such a wonderful message, too. It is. And it, it applies to, to today, you know. Mm-hmm. Look for the good. If you look for the good in people, you'll find it, right? You, yeah. And that's what Reverend Ford says right at the end. You know, we look for the good in them, and we found it. Found- and it's just such an optimistic outlook on, on life in general. It is. His, his story arc, the Reverend, his yeah. story arc is amazing. Pretty pow- One of the most powerful things in the whole movie. Right. When he gets up and apologizes to the congregation for yeah. always lamming into them something fierce. Yep. Yeah. The scene when he's practicing his sermon, he's out in the yep. meadow and Pollyanna confronts him. That's... That's an Academy Award-winning scene right there between both of them. And, you know, as much as they have, like, this dialogue between them, a lot of this stuff is happening inside of his head, too, and he really portrays it. You can see that he's thinking about what she's saying, and his, his mind is changing right in front of your face without him saying it. It's really, it is amazing. So Haley Mills' second film... Uh, was a uh, dual role. She played two different parts. Twin sisters. Separated at a very young age and reunited under very odd circumstances. Of course, we're talking about the classic 1961 comedy, The Parent Trap. Folks like kids or your family tree's gonna snap. So to make them dig, first you gotta rig. What do you gotta rig? The parent trap. 
problem falls in your lap. When your folks are square, then you must prepare. What do you got to prepare? The parent trap. This is one of your favorite Disney movies of all time, so why don't you tell us all about this one? Yeah, so this movie is based on the 1949 book, Lottie and Lisa. So this book is actually a German book, and I'm not going to attempt to try and say it. Das Doppel T. Lachten? Lachten? Yeah, I'm not really sure. I, it um, looks like it says... Doppelty, like yeah. doppelganger. Yeah. That probably means twins. The twins yeah. of Lachen is probably a city. So I'm guessing the twins from this place, whatever that yeah. is. But for some reason, they translate it in English as Lottie and Lisa. And this book is written by Eric Kastner. So what happened with this is, you know, Walt Disney, this is just a typical story that happens with a lot of these live action films is, you know, Walt Disney finds out about the book and then he acquires the rights to the book and then makes a film. That that actually happened a lot in all these movies that we're gonna talk about and, you know, that we're talking about today. So this film was released on June 21st, 1961 and it's directed by David Swift. And it's funny cause this uh, film actually had several titles before they actually settled on the parent trap, including his and hers, uh, there was one called Petticoats and Blue Jeans, and yeah. then also We Belong Together. So, um, and then they finally settled on the parent trap. And I, I read this, um, doing the research for this, I read a little bit about how, um, you know, Walt Disney had reached out to the Sherman Brothers to write music for this film, and they kept changing the name, so they kept having to rewrite different title songs <laughs> until they finally settled on the parent trap. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
So they actually do have a song that they wrote. It's Petticoats and Blue Jeans. And it is played in the film when they're at the dance. So it doesn't have any, they're not played, they're not playing the song with words, but it's the background song that they're actually dancing to at the right. camp. And there's an alternative title too. It's also known as Whistling at the Boys. Yes, yeah. mostly shot in uh, you know various locales in California um, you know of course it starts out in a summer camp and that summer camp was filmed a real camp called Bluff Lake Camp and um, the family camping scenes later were filmed at a camp called Cedar Lake Camp which I actually attended now of course mm. we're not talking about in the 60s but we're talking about in the 80s but I did actually went, go to this camp a couple of times when I was a, a kid. So, and I always thought it was really cool that, you know, this is one of the films that I grew up watching and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to the camp and they actually filmed scenes from this movie here. It's really cool. Yeah. What a great Disney connection. Yeah. I know. Cool. <laughs> so both of these camps are located in the San Bernardino mountains near the city of Big Bear Lake, which is a big camping area in, in Southern California area. And um, so the scenes at the Monterey House were shot at the studio's Golden Oak Ranch, located in Placerita Canyon. And this is where they actually built uh, Mitch's Ranch House. The design of the set was so popular that the Walt Disney Archives receives requests for plans of this interior design all the time. And which I totally understand because that's one of my favorite things about this movie is his house and the whole, you know, interior design and everything about it. And which was, of course, designed by Emil Curie, a famous, uh, you know, set designer, Academy Award winning designer of many Disney films. The reality of it is there never was really a house built. It was just sets and rooms on a soundstage. So unfortunately, right. sorry to burst everybody's bubble. <laughs> yeah, only the exterior facade was built at the ranch. The actual right. interiors were sound stages at the Disney studio in Burbank. Right. So 
just a quick little synopsis of the film, of course, is, you know, um, Haley Mills plays twins, Susan and Sharon, and they are identical twins separated at birth. And they both end up attending the same camp, Camp Inch, where they meet each other for the first time. And they don't really think much of it at first. And they kind of actually have a little bit of a rivalry against each other. And they start up kind of, they kind of do some like tricks and uh, pranks against each other until they end up getting into so much trouble that the head of the camp forces them to live with each other for the rest of the camp. And this is a five week camp. So this is not like a, a one week here and then you're gone. Like they're spending a majority of their summer at this camp. And so that they're being forced to spend time together. And this is where they realize that they're actually sisters by actually having conversations, talking to each other, sharing pictures of their family members and realizing they have the same birthday and things like that. So from there, they, you know, they never real, obviously they didn't know they had a sister. Now they do. They don't know why their parents ended up splitting up. So they want to find out why. And they also want to know the other parent that they haven't grown up with. So they decide to switch places. So Susan is from California and Sharon is from Boston. And then they switch places. So Susan goes to Boston and Sharon goes to California. Sharon has longer hair. They cut, she cuts her hair short so that she looks like Susan. And, um, they end up switching places and they are kind of having a, you know, they're trying to build a relationship with the other parent, but they kind of get placed into, you know, situations that kind of speed that along. They would have rather had it, you know, actually have a, a good amount of time spending in each other's places. But um, when Sharon ends up going to California, she finds out that her father is engaged to be married and this whole idea that they wanted to have was to try and get the parents back together that was why they were going to eventually when they came clean about this plan that they switch they met each other and switched places they wanted the parents to come back together to eventually remarry you know every every kid's you know idea of what they would prefer for their divorced parents to to do is to get back together and get remarried so that's the the main plot of the story and it you know of course uh havoc ensues and different uh you know situations happen where they're trying to also break up this relationship between the father and his new fiance so that they can bring the mother back and that they'll be able to get their parents back together so you know it, it of course it's a it's a difficult situation on top of the fact that they're twins so that's just a basic plot point. And the one thing about this film, too, is that Haley Mills plays both characters, both Susan and Sharon. And the way that they did this when they were actually filming the movie is through a photography trick called Sodium Vapor Process. It's kind of complicated, but it has to do with, uh, you know, combining the actors and the background footage. And this was a process that was used exclusively by Walt Disney Productions, so I guess they owned the rights to this. And it's more, uh, rather than using like a blue screen, which was more common at the time, they actually used more of like a yellow screen to, to create this. And when Walt Disney, you know, originally the film wasn't going to have a lot of, uh, you know, high-tech, uh, you know, tricks and things like that between the twins. But when they tried this process and Walt Disney saw some of the clips that they had filmed of this, he loved it so much 
that he wanted to re revise the uh, script and have more scenes with them together because he just loved that part of the, the film and he wanted to see more of it. So, you know, this this podcast is about Haley Mills and we're going to go through each of her movies like we've talked about already. So we're not going to talk too much about the entire plot of the, the film. I kind of already went through it, but Haley Mills, like I said, plays Sharon and Susan. Um, Brian Keith plays her father. Mitchell, Mitch Evers, Maureen O'Hara plays the mother, which is Margaret Maggie McKendrick. And there's a ton of other um, cast members in this film who've been in multiple other D Disney films. And the two films that I'm focusing on for this podcast, it's kind of funny, they both have the actress Una Merkel. She plays Verbena in this movie, and then I'm going to talk about Summer Magic, and she's also in that, so I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> Like I mentioned before, this film has uh, about three or four songs written by the Sherman Brothers. And um, Let's Get Together is one of them, which was hugely popular. Come on now, let's compromise. You give a little, I'll give a little. Come on, let's get together. couple of other quick things about the movie before we're going to talk about our favorite scenes um but i wanted to mention that the film was actually nominated for two academy awards one for sound by robert o cook and the other for film editing by philip w anderson which it didn't win either but it was nominated and then Haley mills was nominated for best actress at the golden globes for her performance uh this movie grossed about 29 million dollars worldwide and it's the sixth highest grossing film of 1961 and this film was so popular that they produced multiple sequels so there was three television sequel films that i'm going to talk a little bit more in, in detail later but they were the parent trap 2 which came out in 1986 parent trap 3 which was from 1989 and then Parent Trap Hawaiian Honeymoon which is also from 1989 and Haley Mills reprised her same roles in all of these. They were all made for TV Disney right. Channel releases. Yeah. And then the original movie was actually remade again in 1998 starring Lindsay Lohan. 
and where she played the um, the identical twins, not the same names or anything like that. And then I thought it was interesting, and I hope this actually does come true, but I guess in February of 2018, it was reported that a remake of The Parent Trap is in development for Disney+. Plus. So I don't know if that's still going on, but that was, you know, of course, that was like two years ago, more than two years ago now that they made this announcement. I don't know if they're actually still in production or still in planning or where that is, but I thought that was pretty interesting to that they're still trying to keep this this um, you know property alive because it's so strong and it's people just really like it. We're going to talk about our favorite scenes, and I am going to start because this is the one that I'm focusing on, and and this is kind of how we're going to get into a little bit more of a discussion of the actual film. But my favorite scene is the scene that happens when Susan and her mother. They decide to come from Boston to California, you know, to bring the, you know, her back and kind of reveal to the father that they, that they have, the twins have met each other and that they are, you know, that they switched places. Yeah, so, the, the, in Boston, she's discovered. And so they fly out to California, but the father doesn't know yet. Right. right. Only the mother knows. Right. The way that... The father finds out that the mother is there and that also that his twin daughters know each other and they've been reunited is to me the most hilarious scene of this film. Yeah, <laughs> and just the, how the mother is there, she comes in the house, she's, she's hanging out with the twins or whatever, but she decides, you know, she's going to get ready and, and she's, you know, um, going around changing and, you know, getting herself presentable. But she hears that the fiance is there at the house. And so she wants to go take a look at her. So she comes down with, um, I believe it's Susan. They come down to take a peek at Vicky. This, that's the name of the fiance. And they're, you know, kind of sneaking around the house as the Mitch, Vicky, her mother, and uh, the reverend who is going to be performing the wedding ceremony in a few days. And they're trying to plan out where they're going to do this wedding ceremony. And so they're walking around the property outside and, you know, just kind of trying to figure out where everything is going to be. And he keeps seeing these people kind of like behind bushes, trees, you know, in different areas while they're walking. And he isn't sure if that's her or not. So he he's like squinting and looking and he's walking around trying to get a different view. And he ends up in different situations where he's like falling, tripping over furniture. And then the, the most hilarious one is he falls into this like swimming lake that they have on the property. And he's all soaking wet because he isn't really sure if he's seeing his ex-wife at his house, you know, because you got to think about this. They haven't seen each other in like 12 years. And all of a sudden she just shows up at his house and she's just on his property. You know, he's just not really sure. He thinks his eyes are playing tricks with him. So it's just a really hilarious scene. And then he, you know, they end up confronting each other. And of course they just start yelling at each other. They're both mad at each other. But what makes the scene even funnier is that the Reverend, his Reverend Mosby played by Leo G. Carroll, like the, the famous actor, Leo G. Carroll. He's just standing there watching it with this smile on his face and he just thinks it's the funniest thing. And I just think that with his reaction to the scene and the way that these two amazing actors play off of each other, I think that this is the best scene in the film. So what do you think, Chris? What's your favorite scene from this film? Well, first of all, you should also mention that part of the hilarity of that sequence is the fact that he keeps seeing his 
daughter in different outfits. And right. <laughs> because both of them are walking around the house and he keeps bumping into them and he can't figure out how they're like moving around so quickly and changing and he tells his daughter something and then the other one doesn't know what he's talking about and so it's just a whole it's like an episode of three's company it's like yeah it's really <laughs> <laughs> oh i love that scene too well that was one of my backup scenes this one especially because of the reverend Yes. And he keeps saying that, you know, this situation is so fraught with humor and quite out of the everyday <laughs> for a boring old reverend who doesn't get much excitement. Yeah. <laughs> He's really quite smitten by Maggie's beauty oh, yeah, and charm. He and he keeps yeah. telling Mitch, like, however, did you let such a delightful woman slip away? <laughs> yeah. And he actually is sort of rooting for Vicky's demise. And oh, yeah. he, he, he officiates is. over the. Well, I mean, it's a it's a 59-year-old movie, so I'm not right. giving away any spoilers, but he officiates over the the remarriage of of their parents at the end of the film and he looks very happy about it. Yeah, <laughs> probably because he just yeah, had another bourbon yeah. on the rocks. Oh yeah, double. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So were you going to ask me to talk about my favorite? Yeah, why don't you go first? Okay, you tell sure. me yours and then... So my favorite scene is when Susan and Sharon first discover they are sisters. It's, it's their, you know, like Ruthie said, they're being punished by being isolated uh, in their own cabin because they caused the scene at the dance. And they're just kind of sitting in their, their cabin. They've kind of separated themselves in their, their room and I don't know how you keep them together, Ruthie. Susan and Sharon, I can never figure out who, which <laughs> one's which. But one of them is hanging pictures up on the wall of, like, rock stars and things. That's and Susan. That's because Susan. Because remember, Sharon okay. doesn't know who Ricky Nelson is. Right, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so she's busy hanging up these little pinups. And then, you know, there's a storm and the wind blows everything off the ground. And, and that's the first time you see... Uh, any kindness between the two mm -hmm. Sharon goes over and helps her pick up the uh, the pictures and then from there they start discussing about all their similarities like they find out they have the same birthday and talk they start talking about their parents and I think Susan starts describing her mother as being very beautiful and Sharon's just kind of she gets goosebumps right on her arms and she gets the picture of her mother and the big reveal, she turns it around and, and Susan sees it. And it's just such a touching scene. And then I'm a, I'm a baller. I cry during this one every time. <laughs> and it's just, it's just so funny and touching when, when they say, golly, sisters, and they embrace and, and, you know, they start to formulate their, their scheme or their plan to get their parents back together. Yeah, this is actually my backup scene. So we, we agree on both of the, our scenes that we've chosen from this film. Yeah. What about you, Chris? You didn't pick my number one scene or my backup scene. Huh. Interesting. So my favorite scene is the dance at the camp. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so Sharon is not allowed to go to the dance because um, Susan and her cohorts play a practical joke on them and they get discovered with their 
cabin in complete disarray and they are punished by not being able to attend the dance. So during the dance, Susan goes out on the veranda and down below is uh, Sharon and her friends with a pair of scissors and they cut out the whole back end of her dress revealing <laughs> her undergarment and w one thing that I thought was really cute about this scene is how she's talking to this l young boy and they're, I guess they're like 14 <laughs> and he's like gee that's really great you can tell how nervous he is <laughs> to talk totally to nervous, a girl yeah. for the first yeah. time I thought that was adorable because it's well. so so realistic. <laughs> I mean, that's the way that really would happen in real life. That's like so yeah. true to real life. Yeah, but anyway, it's a good-looking guy. She yeah. walks. She walks away with him, and unbeknownst to her, her dress is cut up, and she starts dancing to oh, "Let's Get Together" by Annette, and. Um, <laughs> Or actually, no, Let's Get Together played earlier. This one is uh, is that Blue Jeans song. The instrumental. Petticoats and Blue Jeans. Petti Petticoats mm -hmm. and Blue Jeans. And um, her friends notice that her dress is, the back of her dress is missing. They whisper to her and then um, she sort of tries to escape. And everyone starts laughing at her and she confronts uh, Sharon and and they have a they start having a cat fight and all the it turns into a big mess with the hors d'oeuvre table and <laughs> Miss Inch <laughs> says I have a cake in my hands and the, there's a totem pole and the beak <laughs> is sticking out of it like the cake gets stuck to it and then after a few seconds it falls and lands on her face and I just, I just, and the punch bowl like yes. goes down. The I just always thought that was a funny oh, but scene. it is yeah. really funny. Let me say something about that cake. That cake is the same cake from Pollyanna, and I love it. It looks so good. Oh, I want to eat it all. Yep. All those cakes. Mm. Anyway. Cakes <laughs> <made>. Yes. <laughs> okay, yeah. so the other one that nobody picked which was supposed to be my backup, was the camping scene with Vicky. Oh, yeah. Where oh, they go, where uh, Maggie tricks Vicky into going on a camping trip with Midge and the, and the girls. And the mm -hmm. whole time they're playing jokes on her and she's just not an outdoors type of person. And they, like, give her... They tell her it's mosquito repellent, but it's sugar water. And they tell her that she has to bang sticks together to scare away the wild mountain lions. Mountain yeah. lions. <laughs> and, uh, and then they do the same trick that they did at the camp. Right, but before, before that, they're standing in the lake and... and one of them is standing on the shoulders of the other one saying, it's shallow water. And then she goes yeah. in and she ends up getting all soaking wet. But, <laughs> yeah, but then they end up doing the same trick where they they put honey on her feet and put tie all these ropes all over her tent. 
and in the morning she's awoken by these little bear cubs that are licking her feet. She goes crazy. That's how they get rid of her. That's where she she ends up slapping one of them, and then that's sort of the end of, of everything because Mitch yeah. is yeah, really Mitch is angry. Like, no, none of that. Yeah. yeah. Right. But earlier, it's kind of funny because earlier the mom, Maggie, mentioned something about whether Vicky was going to really be able to deal with Mitch because she knew she knows he's like this outdoorsy woodsman type of person. And obviously Vicky is not. Yeah. And so she sets this whole thing up totally on purpose. Yeah. yeah. Well, the other thing that should be mentioned is Midge is quite wealthy. And the only reason really Vicky is after him is for his money. So it's... Right. Pretty much, she's a money-hungry sort of. She's a villain, and it's good that yes. they got rid of her. So Definitely. we don't we don't feel too sorry for her at the end of the movie. So no. it's funny that I picked two scenes that nobody else did. I know that is funny. That doesn't mean but we that's don't good, like them. Yeah, no, we definitely <laughs> yeah, we love those scenes, and it's yeah. just more of the movie we can talk about. And that also goes to show that this movie is so good because it has so many scenes that we all love and remember very well and that's why this is one of her like Haley's most well-known movies yeah we didn't even talk about the dinner that the girls set up i know that's right the let's get together <laughs> you know other, performance yeah. right which right. is another classic scene yep cast away cast away trust in your star you know So her next film was released in December of 1962, In Search of the Castaways. This was based on a, a Jules Verne novel uh, published in 1868. Uh, Jules Verne, of course, was a French author, and so the title in the French translation was... The Children of Captain Grant, and I'm not going to say it in French, but that's, if you directly translate it from French, it would be The Children of Captain Grant. But the English title has always been In Search of the Castaways. So like the movie that Ruthie talked about, there's sort of an inexplicable name difference between the different languages of, this two, of the title of the original book. 
which is sort of a funny coincidence. Anyway, this is a um, sort of like a, a what would you call it? An adventure story, like yeah, a fantasy adventure. Fantasy mm-hmm. adventure definitely feels like a Jules Verne sort of epic world travel type story you know around the world in 80 days sort of type of thing in a way john mills was in that another connection (laughs) yeah there you go so um this was directed by uh robert stevenson director of so many classic disney films uh this would not be the last Haley Mills film that he directed and also it was uh, filled to the brim with uh, matte paintings by another person we've already mentioned who did the third story of Aunt Polly's house in Pollyanna Peter Ellenshaw and this really this movie owes most of its uh, grandiosity to him because it's just a complete every scene is filled with his work from beginning to end and there's a lot of special effects going on in this movie some of them hold up terrifically some of them don't (laughs) (laughs) foreshadowing my favorite scene (laughs) i i don't know but uh this was 1962 after all so i mean for 1962 the special effects are pretty impressive really and the uh movie was mostly filmed in the united kingdom at the famed pinewood studios where every american film that's ever filmed in the UK, it's always, they always say in the credits, filmed at Pinewood Studios, you know, mm-hmm. all the old movies. This is one of those. Um, so the story begins with two young children who are the children of a lost sea captain. And a mysterious bottle is discovered by a professor named Jacques Paganel, played by Maurice Chevalier. (laughs) And uh, he is like the ever-optimistic person that he is in basically every film he's ever in. He's never, like, rarely doesn't have a smile on his face. But they uh, try to uh, stop the captain of a ship that is about to go off on a voyage his send-off bon voyage party they try to to meet him you know catch him and show him the message in the bottle um that's a played by wilfred hyde white the name of his character is lord Glenarvan, and you will recognize this actor, probably most of you, as playing the character uh, Colonel Pickering from My Fair Lady. By George, she's got it! <laughs> and uh, the um, 
through a series of mishaps and stowawaying, they end up convincing him to go search for their missing father. And uh, part of the note in the bottle is is torn up and missing. So through a few um, powers of deduction, they sort of decide that based on the longitude, the latitude is missing, but they have the longitude. Based on the longitude that he gave, they figure that the only place he could possibly be is South America. So they decide to go to South America to search for Captain Grant. And when they arrive in South America, they end up traveling over the Andes Mountains and Maurice Chevalier sings the first of his two musical numbers called Let's Climb, which is all about falling to your death but being okay about it because you <laughs> enjoyed the beautiful view along the way. Written by the Sherman Brothers. <laughs> N'ayons pas peur des belles et hautes montagnes. Grimpons, 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 grimpons. Si nous tombons, pas d'apoum, et c'est la mort effroyable. Mais qu'importe, nous avons eu la joie de grimper. N'ayons pas peur des belles et hautes montagnes. Grimpons, 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 grimpons. N'ayons pas peur des belles et hautes montagnes. Grimpons, 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 grimpons. Si nous tombons, pas à mais c'est la mort effroyable. Mais qu'importe, nous avons eu la joie de grimper. N'ayons pas peur des belles et hautes montagnes. Grimpons, 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 grimpons. Non, non. Grimpons. Grimpons. That means let's climb. It is the French recipe for the good life. Whatever you want to do, don't be afraid to do it for fear of failure. Don't be afraid of the beautiful and high mountains. Let's climb, let's climb, let's climb, let's climb, let's climb. Don't be afraid of the beautiful and high mountain. Let's climb, let's climb, let's climb, let's climb, let's climb. And if we fall, crash, bang, and die on terrible death, never mind, we've had the joy, the joy of the climb. Oh, don't be afraid of the beautiful and high mountain. His songs are very strange in this movie because both of them are about terrible things happening to you, but being okay about it because, <laughs> you know, say la vie, so is life. He has the Pollyanna view of life. <laughs> totally does. Yep. <laughs> Even in the midst of 
the most dangerous of situations. He's yes. laughing <laughs> throughout this film. So when they reach the this uh, small little cabin near the top of the mountain, the natives who have been their guide and provided their horses say that they're not staying. And I forget they used some some foreign word that turns out means earthquake. Right. For some reason, they I don't know how these people from South America know what weather and what what natural disasters are going to happen. But throughout this whole movie, they sort of are able to know in advance when things are going to ha- Mother Nature is going to do stuff. I don't know why <laughs> they have that ability. A sixth sense they have. It's called the sense of plot convenience. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) How are we going to break off this piece of mountain here? Well, they leave them stranded without any horses or anything. And they, you know, by morning they do have an earthquake and it breaks off a piece of the cliff that they're on and they go on a bobsled ride riding a (laughs) giant piece of cliff down the mountain and into a a glacial cavern and back out again and they figure out how to steer the rock by moving their body weight from one side to the other and uh, when they get to the bottom of the uh, mountain the younger brother gets captured by a giant condor. And <laughs> a South American native ends up shooting the condor in the head so that it is paralyzed and slowly falls into a tree and Robert's life is saved. And they convince this uh, person to bring them to a village where he has heard there were white men that were captured by the natives. So when they get to this giant tree, he tells them to sleep in the tree because a giant flood is coming. I don't know how he knows this. I don't know why it's happening, where the water is coming from. It's very strange, but... He hears a rumble in the ground, right? He puts his ear down onto the... Perhaps, perhaps. (laughs) It's like, oh, blood is coming. (laughs) He ends up leaving to go get help, and they're all up in the tree, and now they're surrounded by water. And this is where Maurice Chevalier decides to sing about, you know... Bad weather? Oh well, enjoy it! Why cry about bad weather? Enjoy it! Each moment is a treasure, enjoy it! We are travelers on life's highway, enjoy the trip! Each lovely twist and byway, each bump and dip, if there's a complication, Enjoy it. 
You've got imagination employed. Then you'll see roses in the snow. Joie de vivre will make them grow. Voilà, that's life. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. A hurricane comes your way. Enjoy the breeze. You're stranded in the jungle. Enjoy the trees. If there's a complication, enjoy it. You've got imagination. Employ it. This world's a con utopia. Why, it could be. Utopia? Voilà. That's right. Enjoy it. Cry, cry about bad weather. Enjoy it. No, 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 no. Enjoy it. Each moment is a treasure. Enjoy it. What's better? Enjoy it. We're travelers on life's highway. Enjoy the trip. <laughs> Each lovely twist and byway. Each bump and dip. Good. If, If there's a complication, enjoy it. Enjoy it. You've, You've got, got imagination. Employ it. Employ it. Then use the roses in the snow. Squad of leaves will make them grow up. That's life. Enjoy it. And they're in this tree for days and days, fishing and stealing eggs from the birds and eating them and. Um, frying them with the yeah, fry. he's quite the omelet maker. <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, so a cougar ends up joining them in the tree, which really leads to nothing, and it sort of doesn't really. They could have left that part out, and it wouldn't have made any difference. But what happens is they they start building a raft, and then. A lightning bolt strikes the tree, and the cougar takes off with their raft. But then the tree falls over, and then the tree becomes the whole tree becomes a boat, and they're sailing on their their tree boat. And then that chieftain ends up rescuing them in a canoe, and finally brings them to that South American village. And it turns out that the captives were not the right people and they were on a wild goose chase the whole time and Marie Chevalier realizes that it could not have been South America because the shark was native to the Indian Ocean so it had to be Australia or the West Indies so they change course after being convinced by said chieftain given a little pep talk. I mean, this movie is just ridiculous. I, can I say <laughs> <laughs> that I'm... This is not my favorite. I, it's still entertaining. I'm not going to put it up there with uh, Moon Pilot and Ten Who Dared. It still has moments that are enjoyable, and it has its positive attributes as well. But the plot is... I, I know Disney didn't write the plot, but I just have to say it's all over the place yeah there's really no form yeah my mind wandered a lot during it so far-fetched yeah but anyway they end up going to australia and they end up encountering a shyster a gun runner played by george sanders and 
lot of you will recognize him as uh, the voice of Shere Khan from the Jungle Book. Right. Anyway, George Sanders ends up convincing them that he knows where Captain Grant is. And he smuggles all these guns onto the ship because he's trying to sell these to the... The Maori people, people, I think. The the Maori people, yeah. The people of the Southwest Indies. So anyway, they end up discovering, because they're told these are trinkets to barter for the release of Captain Grant, but in actuality, they're smuggling guns illegally to sell to these people. So it turns out that he is, the, in fact, the very person that ended up stranding Captain Grant and his crew when he tried to do the same type of thing before. And so, I the plot is so all over the place. I yeah. I can't even. Con- Long story it's hard, short, yeah, it's hard to keep track of where they are and what's going on. Yeah. Long story short, they end up being abandoned in a lifeboat by the the pirates who have taken over the ship, and then they get captured by the natives on the island, and they. When they're thrown into this hut, they encounter a character named Ben Gay. Not Ben Gay. Bill Gay. Bill Gay. No, I didn't. I didn't. But he's he's the brother of Ben Gay. Now he reminds me of another classic character, Bill Gunn from Treasure Island. He's virtually the exact same character as Bill yeah, Gunn. Right. But it turns out, I looked this up, Treasure Island is later than this book. So obviously, they borrowed the the author of Treasure Island, Robert Louis Stevenson, borrowed the character from Jules Verne and not the other way around. That is, if that's, he's the same possible. in the... That is if he's the same in the book as he is in the Disney movie. I'm not sure. Maybe they took liberties with the portrayal of the character for the Disney interpretation. I cannot say. I have not read the book. And after seeing this again, I probably will never read the book. (laughs) It's probably a lot better. It probably is, because it's got more time to make things less rushed and less episodic. But regardless, regardless, they end up escaping through a very strange... I'm not going to even explain how they escape, but they escape, okay? Just take it. (laughs) And You're not going to talk about how Bill Gay has been saving hair for two years to make a rope? Yeah. And then they squeeze Robert through a window on the hair rope. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the rope happens to all be one color. I don't know how. He says, every scrap of clothing, every hair we save. And it's like a perfect tan color. (laughs) I don't know how how that happened. Did they dye the rope? Or I don't know. Anyway, (laughs) so one thing that Brian, I I got schooled by Brian. Because... The there was a question because this film is not available on Disney Plus and Ruthie and I were sort of like, why is this not on Disney Plus? And then I watched the movie 
again, and I remembered that there's a lot of scenes depicting indigenous peoples that are could be considered offensive, but one problem is that a lot of the South American characters are actually being portrayed by Italian Americans, so that's a problem. But really, the main problem that uneducated people might, like me, might come to is the, the sequences showing the Maori people and their war rituals because it seems so over the top and like Disney was making fun of their rituals but then he pointed out to me Brian's wife saw this and said that's so authentic to what it really is and then Brian showed me a film like a YouTube video of the real deal and it is exactly the same as it is depicted in this film. It is not an over-the-top exaggeration. The tattooing on them, the costumes, the over-exaggerated eye bulging and facial expressions and everything about it is 100% authentic to the real ceremonies of this part of the world. So you cannot be offended by it. I'm letting you know that right now. <laughs> Case, closed. <laughs> Case closed. Disney was 100% authentic in this portrayal of, of these rituals. Anyways, they end up escaping to an uh, area where there's a, a volcano and they end up... Oh my god. They end up <laughs> pushing a boulder... And it hits another boulder, and it uncaps a volcano, and it erupts. I didn't know that's how volcanoes worked, but right. yeah. I, I, I didn't know that the only thing stopping a volcano from erupting is a little tiny rock on top a of rock. it. Yeah. That's acting like a cork. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the hot lava is coming at these people and Maurice Chevalier says, don't worry, the Maori are fast runners. <laughs> <laughs> and then they oh, end man, up taking back that stuff. they end up taking back the ship and and imprisoning the George Sanders character and and the father was actually there. That was not a lie. And he ends up getting reunited. And it's all a happy ending. And and that's the story of In Search of the Castaways. Anyway. it's <laughs> The music was composed by the Sherman Brothers. And one song we didn't mention is another one performed by Haley Mills called Castaway. Which is... A lovely little song. The music is wonderful. In fact, the background music in this is wonderful. It should get an official release. They did release an album back in the 60s when the movie first came out with the songs and then a little taste of the background music, but not nearly. I mean, they need an official release of the entire score because that was one of the things I really appreciated about this film is the background music is terrific in this film. And, uh, yeah, of course, the Sherman Brothers songs are wonderful. Mm -hmm. And some of the visual effects are quite impressive. 
even though the, the story behind what's happening is crazy, the actual visual effects are impressive. Some of them are less impressive than others, but some of them are really impressive for 1962. And of course, Haley Mills is always, I mean, all the actors in this were wonderful, charming, enjoyable to watch. I, that was a highlight is even though everything going on in the script and everything was so crazy, you still can enjoy it because you're enjoying your time with Haley Mills and George Sanders and Marie Chevalier. And it's a wonderful cast and it's really, you know, so, I mean, like I said, this is a problematic film for many reasons, but it does have a lot of positive attributes as well. Obviously, because it was the third highest grossing film of 1962, believe it or not. It grossed $21,000 worldwide. And, uh... 21 million, right? Uh, oh, did I say 21,000? Uh, yes. <laughs> it, was, it was a bad year for films. It was a rough year. Yeah. <laughs> 21 million. Almost 22 million worldwide. So, um... I guess I should name my favorite scene. And, uh... Even though it is so ridiculous, I just... I enjoy the ride. I enjoy the whole just craziness of it my favorite scene is the the rock going down the snow cliff going down the snow mountain and going through the ice caverns and everything that whole sequence where they're and then they have like a little miniature that you see and it sort of spins around and it looks so adorable <laughs> and they use they use a whole di bunch of different special effects they you know they use uh, green screening and uh, miniatures and close-ups and you know just all sorts of different things but uh, part of it is effective other parts of it is like you look at it and you just have to chuckle at it but it's just so fun and silly that I just enjoy it it's yeah like when it breaks in half yeah and then it <laughs> breaks in half and now now they're banging into each other and then yeah <laughs> And when they bang into a rock and they all go flying in the air and then an eagle takes the brother away. Like, oh my goodness. <laughs> what is happening here? This is insane. So, <laughs> But it's fun. Yeah, that's... It, It's funny and it's fun and it's enjoyable. Alright, so you guys, what's your favorite scenes? Well, you picked mine. Uh-oh. Yeah, that was it. I mean, that... I rewind that like three or four times just to laugh. It's <laughs> like totally That's ridiculous. Funny. How this, how, I mean, I, I I realize that they're all using their body weight to to steer the, yeah, to steer the the ledge or whatever it is they're riding on. But how in the world can they get that thing to turn ninety degrees to avoid know, going right? over the cliff? <laughs> it's amazing. Suspension so, of disbelief. There. What is your second favorite yeah. scene? Then he took your first. Uh, the, the second one is the Maori dance. So like Chris said, you know, my wife worked at the Polynesian Cultural Center. And so she's participated in some of those. And when we were watching this together, she was just impressed how authentic it was to the real thing. Uh, that, that she saw that real Maori people were doing it at the, the Polynesian Cultural Center in, in Hawaii. Even the and, tattooing on their yeah, faces totally was down to the last detail. Completely. I'm not really surprised by this because 
Uh, Disney's always had a great love affair for all things Polynesian, and mm-hmm. so uh, yeah. they've, they are uh, definitely going to make sure this works on film and not to offend uh, the Maori people. It's real. <laughs> I don't, it's I don't real think to... anybody's too offended by it. it. It's definitely a highlight for me, and the the other thing that I, I enjoy is kind of the puppy dog love between Haley Mills and uh, Michael Anderson Jr., right? Yeah, that's he's yeah. the he's the guy from Tiger Bay. Yeah, uh, they do she, plan to be married at the end. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny because it seemed like there was quite a bit of animosity uh, that Haley held <laughs> in the relationship because he wasn't the nicest of guys. In fact, he was a little overly masculine, you know, male chauvinistic a little bit throughout the yeah. film. But yeah. Yeah. Well, he he had some problematic lines like for a girl you're pretty Yeah, yeah. Great. Pretty awesome. <laughs> All right, what was your favorite scene? Okay. Um so my favorite scene actually I think this is probably the the most suspenseful scene as well is when they are escaping from the Maori like hut/jail that they're locked up in. Oh, the and rope scene. And how they scene. do it. Yes. Yeah. It reminds me, have you ever seen The Time Bandits? No, I haven't seen that. Have you seen that, Brian? I have, yep. Remember how they escaped from the cage in that scene? If anybody hasn't seen that movie, oh, it's such a good movie. You have to go see it. Anyway, sorry for interrupting, but that that totally reminds me of that scene from Time Bandits. So Time Bandits stole this Mm. from In Search of the Castaways. Yeah, totally. No, yeah. of course they did. <laughs> Come <know>. on. <laughs> well, in that case, Pirates of the Caribbean did the same thing when they were true, right? Well, yeah, wrapped in the school cage. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So this this hut has little windows at the top, and the young her brother Robert is the, the smallest of the bunch, and so he's actually able to squeeze through one of these windows. And he is dangling out of the window because this hut is also like on a cliff over the water. So he's dangling with this rope made of hair. And I also thought it was kind of funny because apparently like you find out in a few minutes that there's gunpowder also in the rope. But and I don't know how they got that. (laughs) But (laughs) maybe that's why it was tan. Maybe the (laughs) gunpowder turned it tan. (laughs) That accounts for the color. Yes. So he's dangling and they have to swing him and he's swinging and they keep swinging and he keeps, they keep releasing a little bit of the rope more and more to try and get him on the ledge. And finally they get to the end of the rope and it's still not long enough. So they end up having to swing him and then let him go so he can actually get onto the the side of the the mountain that he's trying to get onto where he can then come around and unlock the door to the, the hut and let them all out. And then they also need to escape because the Maoris are doing their dance and their rituals at the same time that they're all escaping. So they need to do it quietly so that they don't disturb the the ritual and then they can actually get away. So I I kind of feel like this whole thing is is probably the most suspenseful scene in the film. And so that's why I picked it as my favorite. I wonder how uh, Maurice Chevalier would have found a positive spin if Robert had fallen (laughs) off the rope. Oh, I know. Yikes. He's always looking at the bright He side. got a nice view of, of the yeah. cliffs before he died. 
Um, so <laughs> yes. what? What? What's your favorite? My second, second favorite. favorite is is your favorite. It's you know the gliding through the mountains on the rock. Everybody likes that one. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah hilarious. That's, it's just a really. It is a funny scene. It's really good. So. I, I didn't mention my second favorite because I didn't want to take it in case any of you mm-hmm. chose it. And I'm surprised none of you did, but I chose the the scene in the tree when they make the breakfast and sing Enjoy oh, yeah. It. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's ridiculous, but it's such a terrific yeah. song. <laughs> that I, it's a great song. It's a great Sherman Brothers song, and I love that song. So yeah. I just just that because of the song. To the, to the movie. Yeah. yeah, I had right. a two-disc album of the Sherman Brothers' most famous songs, and it was yeah, like, enjoy it, and another one, the Castaway, Castaway song. Yeah. Like, yeah, I have that CD too. That's where really my have love it. for live action started with that <laughs> yeah. album. And I'm like, oh, I want to watch. Oh, the really? Wow. Yep, yeah, that two-disc album. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So the next movie we're going to talk about, we talked about, when was it? Like, was it a year ago or two years ago? It was 2018. It was two years ago in the summer. And we did a whole episode on Summer Magic, which is Haley Moe's fourth Disney film. And uh, since we talked about it before, we're not going to get into too much detail about it, but we need to mention it. And we're going to sort of focus on more about Haley Mills specifically in this movie for the purposes of this 
uh, salute to Haley Mills. So, Ruthie, since we talked about it before and you know everything there is to know about Summer Magic, <laughs> right. why, don't, why don't you tell us a little bit more about it? Like Chris said, we already did an entire episode just about this movie, but we definitely need to mention it here because it's a Haley Mills movie. So this film was based on the 1911 novel Mother Carrie's Chickens by Kate Douglas Wiggin. And this film was released on July 7th, 1963 and directed by James Nielsen. This is another film that has a ton of... Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Was he a member of the Nielsen family? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty Leslie? sure he was. <laughs> Leslie <Maybe> Nielsen? The... <laughs> no. You know, the ratings, TV ratings. Oh, oh yeah. I, was, I thought you were talking about the Naked Gun movies. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Ozzy and Harriet Nielsen. Anyway. No, they're sorry Nelson, for, not I, I know that. It was a <laughs> comedic license. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, All right. Sorry. So this film had a ton of matte paintings by Peter Ellen Shaw, just like the previous films that we've talked about. This one is full of them, mostly because the majority of the film was actually done at the Disney Studios backlot. So if you're gonna feel make this whole um, feel like a kind of like a down home. Like Maine. New England, yeah. yeah, small town kind of a thing. It's all because of his uh, matte paintings because they definitely didn't film film this film anywhere near that type of scenery or exterior type of thing. So um, you're crushing me now. I thought it was all done in Beulah. Maine. I know, right? <laughs> well, I'm gonna ruin you even more. Uh, Darby O'Gill and the Little People was also not filmed in Ireland. Again, it was all Peter Allen shop paintings. Yep. Stop. I'm going offline now. <laughs> and then actually some of the other outdoor scenes, the exterior scenes at the Carey's City Home, which is which is representing Boston, was filmed at the Columbia Ranch, which is now known as the Warner Ranch in Burbank. So it's basically this whole film was filmed in Burbank and also at uh, Disney Studios' backlot. And this is Haley Mills' musical film. So um, before we talk about anything else, the cast or anything, we need to, also, of course, mention that the Sherman Brothers wrote all of the songs, and then the music in this film was composed by Buddy Baker. That right there, the combination of the Sherman Brothers and Buddy Baker makes this such a very Disney film. And then on top of it, add Haley Mills. So there you go. And Burl Ives. Yeah. Even though I don't know if a lot of people... I mean, they may associate him with Disney now because of the couple of films that he did do, but... We talked about that. Go back to our 2018 episode and learn all about it. Yeah, you guys <laughs> did a real deep dive on Burl we did. Ives. Yeah. 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 Which we're not going to do here, so... No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but, you know, I definitely encourage you to go listen to that episode but i'll give you like a brief synopsis of the film which is the carey family which is nancy carey she's the oldest that's played by Haley mills and then she has two brothers gilly carey and peter carey gilly is the middle and peter is the youngest 
their father recently passed and so the mother is trying to figure out how she's going to continue to raise these three children and they live in Boston and in the beginning they're kind of packing up the house and they um she is coming from the an appointment with the lawyer and she's comes and tells them that she they don't end up having the amount of money that they she thought that they were going to have because their father had made some investments that were actually like not good investments so the money didn't pan out for them and in the meantime you see Haley Mills she gets the mail she has a letter that she's just received and she um, pipes up and tells her mom well you remember our favorite um, memories with father was when we went to uh, this small town in Maine called Beulah and we visited the yellow house and when when we were talking about that, I decided to write and see what, what the status of that yellow house was. And I received a letter and the um, person who is in charge of running the house, he's not the owner. Um, his name is Osh Popham. He has written her a letter saying that they can come and live in the house and they all, all they have to do is pay $60 a year for rent. And the mother had just told them that they could only uh, live on $50 a month. That's all that they would have had. So it sounds like a great deal. They have great memories of this area and, you know, especially that ties back to their father who they've recently lost. So they decide to go and live there. scene is just them arriving in Beulah, Beulah, Maine. And um, basically, it's just a series of, it's, this is kind of a little bit of an episodic movie, series of scenes of how things happen while they're living there. You know, they're, um, get, they get to know Osh Popham, who's played by Burl Ives, and uh, the mother, Margaret Carey, she's played by Dorothy McGuire. And then I mentioned earlier, Una Merkel, she plays Mariah Poppin, who is Burl Ives' 
wife. And so, you know, they just go through the situations where they're getting to know Osh and his family. You know, he has two children as well, a daughter and a son. Then they have a cousin come to live with them. Her name is Julia Carey, played by Deborah Wally. She comes and lives with them because of circumstances that she's had in her life. And so, and then they also, you know, meet some boys in town. And But the main plot that kind of, well, it's not so much the main plot, but it kind of comes up as there's this situation where Osh Popham has not been completely truthful with the Carey family, which Haley Mills has not been truthful with him either. So they kind of have gave each other little quote unquote white lies. And so he, Osh Popham has let them live in this house, even though he hasn't technically gotten permission from the rightful owner. And the situation, the storyline builds up where he needs to, uh, or he's telling them that the way that the owner wants them to honor his mother is to put up a portrait of her. And he, he just finds a random portrait in his attic that he is portraying as the mother, but it's not really her. Of course, this is a whole made up story. And at the same time, they're, they're going to do this big reveal. They're creating, they're coming up with this party. They're, they're decorating and planning this whole thing for the whole town to be there. And they were, they're going to do this uh, portrait reveal at this party. And at the same time, the real owner, which is Mr. Hamilton is coming back to, to the house. And so he kind of comes and sees this whole thing happen. And basically all of the lies that uh, Osh has been telling kind of unravel at the end with this portrait reveal. And if you want to know more, go watch the movie, listen to our episode. But that's basically <laughs> yeah. the, the plot in and of itself. <laughs> so I'll just this- really quickly put plug for that podcast. It's really good, you guys. So definitely go back. And they really get into this film and all the songs and, and all the characters and what they've done. It's 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 excellent. Yeah. So this movie actually made uh, four million dollars at the box office, so it was a moderate hit. And Haley Mills was nominated for Best Actress at the Golden Globes for her performance in this film as well. So that's basically what it is. Like the best thing about this this film is her performance and the music. Like that's really. I mean. Don't get me wrong, Girl Lives is, is also awesome in this film. But there's there's some plot holes that we, again, we talk about it in our podcast. There's plot holes and things that don't make sense. And they kind of don't follow through on certain some storylines as well as we wish they would have. But for the most part, the things that make this such a beloved film is Haley Mills, Girl Lives, and the music. Also... We talked about our favorite scenes on that podcast, and my favorite scene has not changed since 2018. My favorite scene is the end, the portrait reveal at the end. When they actually reveal this painting, which Osh Popham had picked out, and it was this portrait of this ugly lady with a scowl on her face. <laughs> <laughs> and um, they, when they reveal it, they, they pull a, the curtain um, off of it, and they reveal it, and everybody's like, <gasps> You know, it's so funny because it's, you know, it's just not what you were expecting. And and the and, music uh, goes, wah! <laughs> <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, it's just so, um, basically what this whole, like, underlying plot has been building up to this whole time. So it's just so funny. 
but I just really like uh, Haley Mills' performance in this movie. So, what's your favorite scene, Brian? My favorite scene? Well, it's kind of it goes along with the the picture. So, when uh, the whole thing's going down of like of Burl Ives trying to come up with an excuse for the for the carries to remain by creating this ceremony to reveal the picture. He's got to pick the picture, right? Yes. <laughs> so, he, so he's... This was my he's, favorite scene. Yes. The last oh. time. In the, no, in no, the no. podcast. In the podcast? In the podcast. Really? In the, in the podcast. Well, let me, let me, but I picked I'll, a different one for this. Yeah. So you can pick okay. that one. Well, <laughs> I'll give you my take on it then. Yeah. Please do. <laughs> so... So Burl Ives is scrimmaging, he's scrimmaging around, uh, you know, his little shop looking for a, a picture and he lines up four, is it three or four kind of dusty photos or pictures mm-hmm. and the music playing in the background is like <laughs> what makes it so hilarious. So he's kind of yep. looks at the first one and he's blowing it off and it's like, and they're pretty risque photos, you know, safe enough for Disney. Safe enough that the first picture is actually hung inside the Golden Horseshoe to this day. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, he goes through each one and then, you know, he's blowing the dust off of them all. And he's like the second one. He's like, oh, I've seen this one before. And I, I think that might be Una Merkel back in her heyday. <laughs> <Yeah>. For sure. <laughs> but he's like, I've seen her before. Or maybe it's a shout out to a former film. But there's some kind of shout out going I wouldn't be and surprised then, if it was a shout out to Una Merkel. It would make sense because yeah, she was very beautiful. She was uh, considered a Hollywood star. That really yeah, place. right. Well, she she bursts in and she's looking at <laughs> Osh, that looking at all these risque photos, and she's like, "Osh, what are you doing? It's the Sabbath." <laughs> <laughs> Mariah, uh, your pot's boiling over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so just one of my favorite scenes. I love it. And I guess my my backup has to be the the croquet match. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> That's my favorite. The whole way they get that party going, right? It's, there's a lawn they want to have a lawn party to welcome I think it's Charles Bryant, their mutual crush between Julia and and Nancy, right? Yeah. So they they invite him over before they even get permission, <laughs> and then they set up this lavish, elaborate garden party with all kinds of food and ice cream and drinks and probably the space of an hour because <laughs> it yeah. was after church. Well, so. First of all, they can only afford to pay fifty dollars a a month for this for their house. Yeah. And where they got all the money for all the <laughs> to food. To feed the town. Yeah. To feed the yeah. whole town. <laughs> where they got ice. Back then you had to make ice cream. You had to hand yeah. churn. Where they got. How they squeezed all those lemons and made all that ice cream and, <laughs> and uh, baked 15 cakes. I don't know where they got the money or the time. It doesn't make any sense. It is a plot. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but like the bizarre scene in Pollyanna, it's the place you want to be, right? Right. It's, it's like a totally nostalgia scene. Yeah. It's like the yeah. whole turn of the century 
nostalgia that Disney yeah. is famous for. So I'll let you talk about the croquet match then. <laughs> well, basically, it's just uh, I won a croquet tournament in high school. I, I'm sort of an expert at that game, so it's actually very authentic how they played it in the movie. Um, when they put the ball up to the other ball, it's called croquet rocher, when you can knock your opponent out of the way just to be nasty. It's mm -hmm. really something you can do in croquet. Um, it's, it can be a pretty cutthroat, nasty game, believe it or not. You can, do, <laughs> you can kind of just jerk around with your opponents just for the sake of making their life miserable in that game. But anyway, um, it, it's just fun to see them playing croquet and, and fighting over Charles Bryan. And it's just like a turn-of-the-century lawn party with croquet and lemonade and ice cream and it's just so Americana even though croquet is probably more of an English or French game but it's sort of been adopted by America but and the way it ends at the end where um, well one thing I love is when Julia croquet rochets her into the into the lake and uh, <laughs> right. she's like oh did I do that and she's just playing the dainty one and then uh, uh, Haley wins and she says I won and then she turns around and the two of them are walking away and she goes I won <laughs> <laughs> I love it because it's it kind of shows off uh, her naivety as to how to win a man's heart <laughs> Julia There's... goes all she she's pressing all the right buttons, being real dainty, having Charles go over and help her show her how this. to do it, right? Yeah, right. And like, oh, I'm not good at sports. <laughs> yeah. Can you show me how? And Haley's all out to win, and she thinks that's how she's going to impress Charles Bryant. But did you have a second choice, Ruthie? No, I just picked that one. My second choice was the whole. Sam incident with Julia on her first night. Oh, the dog. Yes. When because Sam is the dog, the big shaggy dog, he's supposed to sleep outdoors, but he has sort of a secret going with the, the carry boy and after everybody's asleep, well, when he turns the light out, he knows it's a signal to go up the railing and up the up the roof and climb into bed with him at night. So that's his ritual. But Julia ends up sleeping in his room. And he's like, wait, no, no, you can't. And <laughs> when she turns the light out, he ends up thinking that it's the boy doing it. Jumps into bed with her and horrifies her because not 15 minutes ago, they were trying to freak her out by telling her how you know, there's, there's wild animals out in the woods and so she thinks she's being attacked by a wild animal. It's just sort of a funny sequence. So I it is funny, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. His name's Sam! <laughs> that boy. 
Well, you can't go talk about summer magic without talking about your favorite song, The Ugly Bug Ball. <laughs> yeah, well, that's my favorite Sherman Brothers song. Sure. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the music, like like you said, yeah. is is definitely a highlight. There's lots of great songs. Yep. And you get to hear Haley sing a few. Yep, you do. Mm-hmm. She's got decent pipes. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for joining us for episode number 127 of the Jiminy Crickets podcast. We will be returning shortly, within the next couple weeks, to bring you the second half of our salute to Haley Mills. And uh, Ruthie, where can everybody find Jiminy Crickets on the web? You can listen to all of our past shows, including audio versions of Dateline Jiminy Crickets, on our website, jcricketpodcast.blogspot.com. You can also listen to us on iTunes under the name Jiminy Crickets, that's with an exclamation point, and be sure to leave us a five-star review. Over on our YouTube channel, we share updates to the Disney Chris website, including the Disneyland Magical Audio Tour, as well as past episodes of the Jiminy Crickets podcast and Dateline Jiminy Crickets. You can find our channel if you search for DisneyChris.com, and remember, .com is spelled out D-O-T-C-O-M. And don't forget to subscribe and click on the notification bell. You can also join in the conversation over on our Facebook page, Jiminy Crickets Podcast, where you can not only interact with Chris and me and all of the fellow cricketeers, but you can also stay up to date on all the latest details of our many worldwide web endeavors. In addition to all the normal places you have always found our podcast, you can now also find us over at the Roarbots, a unique website celebrating all aspects of geek culture, including Disney fandom. Here we share all of our new episodes twice monthly, as well as special best-of episodes from our extensive back catalog of shows. We are proud to be a part of this motley crew of pop culture superfans, so be sure to check out this amazing website at theroarbots.com. If you would like to contact the show with your comments or questions, our email address is disneychrisdotcom at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Brian, tell everybody about Instagram. Instagram? Yeah. Well, we are now on Instagram. Brian is <laughs> is in charge of yeah. Instagram now for us. So Chris allowed me to take over the account. And uh, so on Instagram, we post a lot of high quality photos. There are already hundreds of these photos. 
mostly specializing in vintage Disney images on our page, and we are continually adding more fun Disney things to see. This is also a great place to get updates to our podcast and the Disney Chris website. So be sure to follow us on Instagram today. And you'll find us at Disney Chris underscore JC underscore podcast over on Instagram. Yeah, that's important to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, Brian, where can everybody find you? You have a you have an Instagram account. Yeah, it would be great if you could uh, go on to Instagram and follow me. I'm at Keeping Walt in Disney. Uh, no spaces, no underscores, just keeping Walt in Disney. And and there I share a lot of vintage images, mostly centered around Walt Disney. And I also document uh, my live action film uh, goals, where I'm currently trying to watch every single episode for the Disney anthology television series. So that's going to take me forever. <laughs> mm-hmm. And some episodes aren't even out there. So. And it's the <laughs> longest running TV show in history. So there you go. Yeah. Well, I got to cut it off somewhere. So after Walt is no longer part of the show is where I cut it off. So. But that's when it gets interesting. <laughs> <laughs> there's some well, good stuff after one. that. Like yeah. there's Disneyland Showtime with the Osmonds. Yeah. There's Parent Trap 2, Parent Trap 3, and Parent Trap Hawaiian Honeymoon. <laughs> you can find me on twitter at disneychris73 and on facebook ruthie can be found under the name ruthie brown and i can be found under the name chris linden that's l-y-n-d-o-n as in lyndon johnson my website is disneychris.com home to the disney song of the day and the disneyland magical audio tour and we now have a new feature where if you are using a mobile device, we have a special setup so that you are able to navigate the site using your mobile device. And there's links to that on the homepage. And also, we have over 2,000 audio tracks now from Disneyland. If you would like to uh, support us for the magic that we bring you, you can help support the Dateline Jiminy Crickets podcast, the Jiminy Crickets podcast, and the Disney Chris website by becoming a Patreon subscriber. And by joining our illustrious roster of supporters, you'll receive exclusive rewards every month, including audio content, Disney video commentaries with Brian, Ruthie, and I, and an exclusive Patreon subscribers-only podcast called Down the Rabbit Hole, in which Brian is a frequent guest as well. Additionally, your name will be featured on screen during the closing credits of each Dateline Jiminy Crickets podcast, so be sure to check out our new donation levels and special rewards at patreon.com slash disneychris and if you prefer you can make a one-time only donation or a recurring donation via paypal recurring paypal donators qualify for the same rewards as our patreon subscribers you will find links to all of these donation options at disneychris.com slash donate.html so i'd like to thank you 
for joining us, Brian, for part one of Haley Mills. And we hope to see you again for part two in a couple weeks when we can finish discussing the one and only, the Disney legend, Haley Mills, Brian. Well, it's been a pleasure, and I will guarantee all of you 100% that I will be back for part two. Can't wait yeah. to, to talk about the moon spinners. Yeah, we're all we're ready to record it right away, immediately. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been a pleasure, Chris, and, and I really appreciate you inviting me to join you guys and talk about my favorite Disney film, Pollyanna, and and hearing all the great things you guys have to say about this wonderful actress that we all love. And Ruthie, do you have any final words for today? I do. Walt Disney once called actress Haley Mills the greatest movie find in 25 years. And I hope you enjoyed our tribute to her. Thanks for listening. And always let your conscience be your guide. And your heart is in your dream. Ooh.